and that you reign, you reign forever. You are the God who was and who is and who is to come. Your salvation is perfect, it is complete, it is mighty, it is saving, it is redemptive, it is forgiving, it is loving, and it reigns forever. In the name of your son, amen. Good to be with you guys today. Um, So for those of you that know me well enough, what would you say would be my least favorite topic to preach about? The Patriots, number one. Tom Brady, Patriots, number one. Money, number two. Um, We got my slideshow ready to roll? Okay, he's working on it. So before we get started, we're talking about, you know, lucky for you, we go chapter by chapter and verse by verse here at Grace Life. That's kind of how we like to preach. And it just so happens that the next two chapters in 2 Corinthians are about generosity and sacrifice and giving. So lucky for you, that happens. So, um, but I'll just say this. As I was reading the passage this week, I was struck by Paul's boldness in raising money for ministry. Especially since, as you guys know, I am extremely reluctant to even talk about it. It makes me very uncomfortable for a host of reasons. I guess it's an area because a lot of people use it to burden people. To maybe make them feel guilty or they engage in it for selfish reasons, bribe them with false promises. If you give this, you'll be rich or if you give this, you'll be happy. And so there's a lot of reasons and none of them are necessarily God's fault or none of them. But there are a lot of reasons why over the years as a pastor, I become less and less comfortable talking about money. As a matter of fact, the Nightlife Center, it's been around for 10 years and I'm horrible at raising money for it. I'm just bad at it. And But then it struck me, I guess I could have just passed all this on to Megan for the next four weeks and let her talk about it. (laughs) But you guys remember what we talked about last week about godly grief? By studying this week, it gave me godly grief about how I approach the topic of giving, how I run from it. How I, how I turn and, and shame from it because I don't want to discuss it with people. And it made me realize as a pastor, uh, that is a horrible way for me to approach it. So today, I'm going to ask that you listen with grace as I approach this topic. That I would much rather be having a root canal instead of talking about. <laughs> Surprising generosity. That's the name of this first in a series of about three or four messages that go straight from Scripture about this topic. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians, and he's finished a big discourse on this letter that he wrote them about how, I'm so thankful that you had godly grief and not worldly grief, because godly grief led to repentance, and you've responded well, and I'm so excited, I'm encouraged by God in your life. And then he goes into chapter 8 about this topic. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. More on who that is later. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. I'm going to read that just in case it went in one ear and out the other. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed or combined into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. In other words, their own choice. 
begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, saying, please, Paul, I know you think we're struggling, but we really want to do this. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. First, in other words, they gave their time and their treasure. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had, stay, had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. In other words, he's saying, Corinthians, Titus wants to do the same thing with you. But as you excel in everything, in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, in your earnestness, which he talked about in chapter 7, and in, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also, talking about giving. So let's talk about the history of this passage. Paul the fundraiser. It's really what he was. Uh, I want to talk about the trouble that was in Jerusalem. These were Christians in Jerusalem that were under intense suffering. Other churches were suffering, but none were suffering to the degree of the Christians that lived in Jerusalem. The very first place the church sprouted up, remember. There was severe famine going on, so there was a lot of starvation for those who did not have money. Those that had money could get their food wherever they needed to. But for those that were struggling, and a lot of Christians were those who struggled, there is severe famine. Remember what had happened is they had begun gathering outside of the city together and all had one together because they wanted to make sure everybody's needs were met. Not because of some sort of political bent, but because people were poor and they wanted to make sure everybody had what they needed. Some people were rich, some people were poor, and they all came together. And as a church, they made sure that nobody went hungry. But you know what else is happening with the church in, in, in Jerusalem? As you could imagine, there is intense persecution. So on, the top, on top of being hungry, they're being persecuted for their faith. They are in a bad situation. So I'll talk about Paul's efforts. Paul felt that addressing this issue of famine and persecution was so important that he is willing to face hostility and judgment and indeed is arrested. Maybe I'll be arrested today. I don't know. Okay. But face hostility and judgment in Jerusalem because of his efforts to raise money for this church. Even while, get this now, even while some in Jerusalem, even some in this church we're teaching that, well, to really be a Christian, you have to be Jewish. You have to go to the temple. You have to do the circumcision. You have to do the feast. So in the midst of them doing this theology that Paul hated, which says the gospel is not good enough. Remember, that's one of the main topics of Second Corinthians, defending his apostleship and defending the gospel. Even in the midst of a church where some are doing this. He takes this fundraising campaign to virtually Every region he had planted a church, Philippi, Corinth, Thessalonica, Ephesus, and in Macedonia, it's unbelievable. He goes to all these Gentile churches and he's raising money from the Gentiles to help the Jewish Christians. And he does it unapologetically. He does it with boldness and he does it in a way that, frankly, I was shaking my head at all week. I mean, I'd read this before, but I never had it impact me the way it did this week because of my own aversion about this topic. So now let's talk about the Macedonian generosity. They were joy joyful givers. 
First of all, they were the first Christians in Europe. Did you know that? These Macedonian churches were the first people in Europe outside of the, what we think of the Middle East now and Greece. I mean, they were the first people in Northern Europe really to become Christians. And they lived in a war-torn region as empires had battled with each other back and forth to take control of this region. And many of their breadwinners, for decades, by the way, this was going on, this war between empires. Many of their breadwinners had been killed or imprisoned. And those that weren't killed or imprisoned were being persecuted from Jews and pagans, these Macedonian European Christians. Yet during this severe affliction, they heed Paul's plea and gave surprisingly to the aid of the suffering Christians in Jerusalem who had it even worse than them. You know what it would be like? Let me explain to you the, how bad it was for them in Macedonia. It would be like Christians in Syria this morning sending us support. Let that sink in for just a minute. A war-torn region with troubles of their own out of joy and excitement over God's grace, not only giving, but giving in a way that it went Paul, made Paul go, whoa, what? And Paul describes this overwhelming generosity because these Macedonian churches, they gave not out of guilt or compulsion or the desire to be good religiously, to accomplish some sort of achievement, or to reach a goal of giving. It wasn't anything like that. They did it because the scripture says it pleased them. As a matter of fact, what we see was they had joy. You guys remember what the definition of joy was that I gave you in the very first week? Joy is this. Joy is the supernatural, unexplainable satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else. That's all joy is. It's the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else life can offer you. And because they had joy, grace had created this whole new value system around God's church and God's children, not just in their own war-torn region, but across the world. The giving that resulted in Macedonia, these poor European persecuted, war-torn Christians, the giving that resulted outstripped anything tithing could ever accomplish. You guys know what tithing is? 10%? You'll never hear me preach on tithing because it's boring. <laughs> it is, right? Who wants to put a math problem to their giving? I hate math anyway. <laughs> Paul referenced uh, this event to other churches in the region as well. So what happened was these war-torn Macedonian Christians became an example to many other churches. In Romans, he says, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. You could see why Paul would say that, because the church began in Jerusalem. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings... They ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. Fascinating. Can you imagine how these Jewish Christians, perhaps even some that were still holding on to Judaism, 
and circumcision and temple worship and feast. Can you imagine how these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem must have felt when they received this surprisingly generous gift from this distant European Gentile church? Who are they? They did what? Huh? They were probably stunned. Not only were they stunned, they were probably like, wow, God is amazing. Thousand miles away, this is what he's doing. So let's talk about the theology. What does God do and why and how does he do it? I want to talk about grace giving because that's clearly what this was. What the Macedonians were participating in was something we call grace giving, not tithing, but grace giving. And Paul calls their generosity an act of grace made possible by God's undeserved gift. And what would that gift be? Exactly. Supernatural. Paul makes it clear that his act of generosity, that this act of generosity was an overflow of grace, not compelled out of religion or self-righteousness. This passage gives us some insights, I believe, into what grace giving shaped and motivated by the gift of faith looks like. Okay, so we're going to talk about what grace giving is. First of all, it's unhindered by circumstances. Let me explain to you something. Grace giving is not interrupted easily. When God's grace was manifested in in Macedonia, they gave surprisingly, even when the circumstances would have said, it's okay, don't give right now. So grace giving is uninterrupted. Think about that for a minute. It's unhindered. By circumstances. You know why? Because you can understand 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17 and 18. But our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. While we look not at the things that we see, but the things we don't see. Because the things we see are temporary, but the things we don't see are eternal. So grace giving, first of all, is unhindered by temporary circumstances. Second thing we see about grace giving in the passage is more than just money. What surprised Paul was that the Macedonians, the first thing they did was they gave themselves a commitment of their lives. I imagine some of them said, can we go with you? They gave themselves first. And then he said, gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. In other words, they said, God, we surrender to you. Paul, if you need us to go and help, we will go. So they offered not just money, but personal help in the trenches. Grace giving is also more than money. It's about your time. It's about your talent. It's about your willingness to serve in a surprising way. You know what else grace giving is? It's cheerful. Gentile believers, guys, supporting Jewish Christians. Don't forget the tension here. People who are being persecuted by some in this church are giving to help these people with food. Even as they themselves are struggling. For them to overcome all of that and give in the way they did, it was a surprising sacrifice. Because grace giving is surprisingly sacrificial. 
Paul is teaching that one of the key results of faith, and this is important, church. This was my Sunday sermon preview this week. One of the key results of faith is surprising generosity. Kind of like what Jesus did for us. What? God, you gave what? Your son? Though having little, these Macedonian European Christians gave more than Paul ever could have expected them to give. See what God does in their life? It's a natural result when God's working in your heart. All right, let's talk about the devotional. What about you? What are you supposed to do and why and how do you do it? I've called the devotional Excelling in Grace. The best part about giving is when it exceeds expectations. Like I said, tithing, a set percentage, is boring and mundane. But generosity can be exciting, shocking, and stunning. Generosity is not a bill. So I don't spend much time on tithing because of that. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever been overwhelmed by someone's generosity? I mean, besides Jesus? I'm going to tell you a story about a family that blew me away about eight, nine years ago. They were the Van Pelts. At the time, they were missionaries in Peru. They'd been there about seven or eight years. I knew them from my old church in Columbia, South Carolina. We went to church together. And he was on my youth ministry team when I was a youth pastor there. Great guy. Tina was great. Actually, in reality, Tina grew up in Sarasota. Eric grew up in Gainesville. We don't hold that against him. But Tina <laughs> grew up in Sarasota. For years, their family went to Grace Baptist Church out there on uh, one of those roads that goes out into the woods. I forget the name of it. B Ridge or I don't know, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> one of those roads, you know, us downtown people don't go out there. So let me tell you the story. I'd started nightlife. We were into, about eight, into it for about eight months. And it was big. I mean, 200 kids a week coming. So some of you that are students that were part of nightlife back then, it was a big thing. And we had this big old restaurant on Tamiami Trail, the old Ref Sports Bar. It's now a closed down square one burgers and bar. And we were there. And it was, I mean, it was a good place for ministry. And it was blowing up. But we had no money. It was, bank, it was literally bankrupting me. I was really discouraged, man. And I said, I don't think I can do this more than a couple months. One of the reasons is because I'm bad at asking people for money. So Eric, they're on furlough and they come to visit me. They come to nightlife and he's there on a Wednesday night and he sees the kids and he hears us preach the gospel and he sees us counseling. He, He sees one of my staff take off shoes and give them to a kid who had no shoes. No lie. I mean, my staff... They've been with me for years, Bruce and Chris and Ann. I mean, I've got some incredible people on my team. So he's there and he says, Joe, you know, we're on the mission field, but we love our hometown. And we're glad you're doing this. I said, well, thanks, Eric. Just be praying for us. You know, it's not an easy job. They left, went back to Peru. 48 hours later, he sends me an email. My wife and I have been praying, and we've decided to support nightlife. These are missionaries that my wife and I had been supporting. 
And we couldn't support them anymore. Nightlife was sucking up all our resources. And these missionaries come in, and it wasn't a small gift. He said, we're going to support you monthly for the next 18 months. I was blown away. I remember sitting there in tears when I was reading this email. Look, it wasn't so much money that it was going to make a, you know, like a wipe away all our financial problems at nightlife. But I knew it was a sacrifice for them. Let me tell you something. This was not a tithe. These missionaries are supporting a ministry in Sarasota. And it just inspired me to not quit 10 years later. If I'd have quit, I don't think we'd have a grace life. Isn't that an amazing story, these people? So you guys, you guys, as you guys know, grace life basically has four core values, right? We're mobile. We understand that. We don't own a building. We meet in several different places. We're organic. Ministries start from people, not programs. We're biblical, and that's pretty obvious. We love the scripture. We're going to go verse by verse. But our fourth core value is generous. And here's what our website says about what generous is. Generous. Here's how we define it. God's grace results in surprising, unexpected generosity. It's born out of this passage. And here's how we define it on the website. Grace Life's core values of being mobile, organic, and biblical enable us to keep cost of operations low. This allows us to be, an, to be open-handed to those around us with our God-given resources. Our goal is to demonstrate grace-driven generosity in our community by allocating more than half our budget to ministries of compassion and outreach. We haven't reached that goal yet. The goal would be to be there by end of year three. And we knew when we set that goal, when we were getting together as shepherds and we were talking about this at Panera, we'd have our lunch meetings. Remember, Megan, we'd sit there and have our lunch meetings and we'd talk about what our goals are. And we knew that 50% of our money, that's a lot. But we thought, well, what would surprising look like? Well, that's surprising. 10%? That's easy. We're doing more than that now. But 50% is 2 Corinthians chapter 8 kind of stuff. It's why we started Grace Life with no full-time staff and no expensive building costs. You have staff who serve you for a pittance. It's surprising, frankly, what they do. It's why we operate at an extremely efficient economic level, a tiny fraction of what most churches do. So I want to give you an update on how we're doing with surprising generosity in our church. Been about 18 months. Did you know most church planning organizations say you must have $100,000 in the bank before you launch? You know how much we had? About 12. <laughs> yes, we were nervous, but we knew God was calling us to do it. We also had a $15,000 loan, which, by the way, has since been completely paid off. Yeah. We did it without the support of a national denomination or a church planning organization. We had tremendous encouragement and support from two churches in town, Church of the Palms and Covenant Life. A Presbyterian church in America and a Presbyterian Church USA. They don't like each other normally. <laughs> they came together to start a non-denominational rebel type of church that meets in a bar. <laughs> 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 
For the last 10 months, we have gotten no outside support and we have been on our own financially, which is a pretty good accomplishment. And during this time, not only are we paying our own bills, we have begun to expand by doing more for those that aren't even a part of our church. We have an amazing food pantry run by an incredible team. Gives away a lot of food each month. We have a mercy team that goes through and analyzes when, when a specific family inside or outside our church has a need we can meet. They go through, they meet with them, not just give them money, but to help them and encourage them and to disciple them and see if there's any way we can head off another type of uh, financial emergency they might, they might have. We have this Day for Hope thing that's coming up soon that we've participated in twice, once, but we're going to do it again. <laughs> it's not cheap. We have this angel tree thing. We put our angel tree out in two weeks. They're all gone. We have this Thanksgiving meals thing we do where we put a lot of the burden on you guys to give us the family names and to deliver them yourselves. And while all of this is really cool, let me bring you down just a little bit. These ought to be our foundation, not our pinnacle. Guys, we want to excel in this act of grace like the Macedonian believers but I'll tell you, nobody will increase their giving because of a stupid sermon. Well, not stupid, brilliant, but still, nobody will give. <laughs> nobody will increase their giving because of a sermon. And frankly, I don't really care how much people give. I don't have a dollar figure in my, I don't have a stupid giving thermometer out there. You know, with a goal and it's going up, oh, we're down, we're up. I don't care about all that. I don't care who gives what. I'm not involved in knowing that information. I don't have a specific idea in mind of what grace giving looks like. Frankly, that would be quite arrogant of me, disingenuous and offensive. But for us to accomplish our stated goal of surprising generosity, it has to be strived for not corporately, but privately, individually. We cannot be surprising in our generosity unless God makes our individual hearts that way. So what's your takeaway today? You need to take it to God individually. Ask him what he wants you to do. Don't ask me. I have no idea. Each person should pray and not just about money. If you do that, you miss a third of it. It's about your time. It's about your talent. Just as the suffering, persecuted Macedonians did. Because here's one thing we see for sure from today's passage. Grace transforms our definition of generosity. Right? Grace transforms it. And so, as I close up today, and, you know, unfortunately for you, we have to discuss it a few more weeks because Paul did. But I'm hoping that this was a different take on it for you. And, and, and I hope I didn't offend anyone. But my prayer is that you really hear what we're saying and understand this is a different kind of church. And we have to operate differently with different goals because God has given us the ability to. So my prayer is that we will continue on this path of becoming surprisingly generous. My desire is that people in the community would say, that small little Church in a bar did what? Because grace transforms your definition of generosity. God, 
the first and greatest example of generosity is you. And then this church in Macedonia, these churches in Macedonia, what they did, help us to be inspired by it. Help us to take giving away from something we feel compelled to do or guilty about and turn it into something that's one of the greatest joys. We pray that it would be like the Macedonians where you said, they weren't asked to do this, it pleased them. May we be a church that gives that way. All God's children.